Welcome back to Fresh from the Old Bailey, our special season on the Constance Martin trial, where we're once again live from inside the Central Criminal Court. I'm Gavin Haynes, and this week, as ever, I'm joined by Court News UK co-founder Guy Toyne. Hello. And star reporter Jack Hudson. Hello. Jack, I think last week we began the show with a lot of prologue about how stop-start proceedings had been. We're at the start of another week, and again, it's been very stop-start. Can you just talk us through the the timeline? Yes. So since our last episode, we've had only two days sitting in court with the jury hearing evidence. We had barristers having other commitments last Wednesday. And then we had a day on Thursday where we had some evidence. We then had a day on Friday where a juror had a commitment. So obviously all the jurors were asked at the start of this trial if they could serve for the six weeks of the trials. And some of them had some issues on certain days and they were assured that they'd be able to stick to those commitments. So we had a juror with a commitment on Friday. And then the jury was due to return at noon on Monday, but there was legal arguments between the barristers. So sometimes a judge has to rule on legal issues in a trial in the absence of the jury because the judge decides the law and the jury decides the facts. So in the end, the jury didn't end up hearing anything on Monday. And we've then had our second full day of evidence of the week today on Tuesday. Is this a common experience? It feels like this trial has possibly been unlucky, but it might simply be that that the courts do just tend to bog down in these kinds of things. It's been interesting to see with this trial the sort of interminable delays that seem to plague uh, the criminal justice system nowadays. I don't think it's the fault of anyone in particular but uh, we do seem to always lack uh, a sort of hurry-up atmosphere. Since the start of the trial, it seems there have been more days where we either haven't had the jury or haven't been sitting for some reason or whatever uh, than we actually have had, if you like, with the active trial. Uh, We've had numerous calls uh, on the tannoy for different legal representatives to come backwards and forwards, um, it's really, really, as I say, interminable. The, 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 the progress of this trial has been so slow. And again, I don't think it's the fault of anyone. Uh, the judge in this case is, a, is an absolutely one of the best judges, I would say, in the building, if not the country. And I don't think it's anything to do with him. He is a, a true professional who will always try and move things forward as best as he can. But in some circumstances, of course, his hands are tied. There's nothing that that, that he can do. And um, it has been very, very slow, tortuous. Jack, you've been in court today. This is one of two days we've had in the past week. And I think this was the more interesting of the two days. What happened? A, A bunch of facts were sort of read into the record, as I understand it. They were uncontested facts. Yeah, we had a set of agreed facts. So agreed facts is one of the ways the jury can be presented with evidence. And it normally is used to save time, meaning that the prosecution and the defense can get together and agree on a set of facts. They both agree 
that they're an accurate representation of what happened and then it can be simply read to the jury rather than calling numerous witnesses. So these facts today were all about the involvement of social services with the couple's first four children. So obviously Constance Martin and Mark Gordon have seen those facts and decided that they don't have any significant factual disputes with them, which meant they could simply be read to the jury rather than us having lots and lots and lots of social workers called to give evidence before the jury, which might have taken a number of weeks. Right. So what we're getting here is a kind of a composite picture of their child rearing skills, if you will, which is relevant because that's part of what the case hinges on. So in terms of, of what we heard, what kinds of parents did they appear to be? What, what did we learn? We know Matt and Gordon met in 2016 and they had their first four children within the next four years. Um, and yeah, there was sort of different involvement of hospitals and social services throughout the period. So in 2017, Martin arrived at our hospital, pregnant with her first child. And concerns were raised because she was six months into her pregnancy and she hadn't had any kind of antenatal care. And then she left that hospital and they sort of didn't have any more contact with health services until they turned up in Wales at a hospital. Martin gives the name Isabella O'Brien. Gordon gives the name James Amir. And they claim to be Irish travellers fleeing domestic abuse. And she gives birth to her child in the hospital, still using her Irish accent. Um... And then after the birth, it's eventually discovered that who they are because of that previous hospital visit that she'd made. Okay, so just on that, why is she giving this false name? Do we have any further data as to that? Yeah, so she explains to the staff that she'd read on the internet that if you claim to be a traveller who is fleeing domestic abuse, then you are giving social housing. And um, they're actually living basically on the streets or in woodland in a tent at that point. So she said that she had left the area she'd come from to get away from her family, that they'd come to Wales, but they were having problems with the homeless community in Wales, that they were... Um, they were living in a tent in a wooded area and she thought that she could get social housing if she pretended to be an Irish traveller fleeing domestic abuse. It is not disputed that they were living in a, in a tent in Wales? No, they were. And the social worker eventually visited the tent with Martin and it was a sort of a small festival style tent. So it sounds like a similar description to, to the tent couple later camp in with baby Victoria, the tent that she dies in. It sounds like a similar tent to that. It was obviously cold, it was full of bin bags, full of damp clothing, and it was explained to Martin that this was not an appropriate place to have a baby. And she replied 
that she understood that and she wanted what was best for the baby, but she felt that this was her and Gordon's lifestyle and that they had an alternative lifestyle and they shouldn't be judged for that. Do we know any more about the validity of that statement? I mean, did they have an alternative lifestyle? Is there any uh, evidence as to why they were living in a tent? It seems they've been moving about the country since they met in 2016, and it seems that they don't want to live in a stable address. I, I guess some of this will come out if they do testify, but it's, yeah. it's not come out yet as to what, whether there was a push or a pull factor. That... Well, they clearly have certain beliefs about authorities. They don't like authorities. They want to live in a different way. They've said that they're... Gordon described them as naturalists and said that they didn't want any kind of medical intervention with their children. Okay, so it's almost a, a pseudo-spiritual state of affairs. And what happens after that point? Uh, because... Is the, is the child then taken away from them? What What is the next step on that trail of social work? Not immediately, no. So the first thing that happens is that Martin and that child are placed in a mother and child placement. So Martin and the child go to live with a foster family in their house. Um, and there are some concerns raised there. It's... An extraordinary state of affairs, uh, whichever view you take, that this couple who we've heard in two months shortly before the death of Victoria had access to, I think it was around £48,000. And yet in the preceding years, they'd been living... Uh, as hobos, apparently, in a tent, and in a camper van. Um, Gordon says that this was an alternative lifestyle uh, that they lived. And I think he said to one of the social workers that they shouldn't be prejudiced against it. But whichever way you look at it, to have four children and a fifth indeed in those circumstances is a strange state of affairs to the ordinary person, I would imagine, especially if one of the couple has access to a certain amount of money. And I'm sure that couldn't be disputed one way or the other uh, by the barristers of the two defendants. The evidence of the social worker, who we cannot name uh, in this case, really does form the key issue for the jury to decide. Because according to the social worker, he told Martin of the dangers of falling asleep with a baby on you on top of you. So these are from the agreed facts, which means that the defence don't dispute that this conversation took place. Martin was told that falling asleep with a baby on you poses significant risks 
due to the potential for suffocation, overheating, and what he described as positional asphyxia. Now, we know in this case, the jury have heard that Martin claims that she woke up one morning and basically the baby was dead. And she said, I think I may have been on top of her. Now, of course, no one will suggest in this case that she is doing anything intentionally. However, we do have this evidence where she was warned of the potential risks. And according to the social worker, he said this, sleeping with the baby in this position, increases the risk of Southern Infant Death Syndrome or accidental suffocation. And it was explained to her that babies are more delicate and vulnerable and their airways can become easily blocked when placed in certain positions, especially if they are sleeping on an adult's chest. Now, according to this statement, Martin expressed her commitment there and then to not causing the child any harm and promised to adhere to her advice. Now, this, of course, is the, one of the previous children. It's not Victoria. We're talking about a conversation here which took place in 2017. But she was told then that the baby must be placed in a Moses basket rather for sleep rather than falling asleep on her chest. And this, in fact, was not only raised once, according to the social worker, it was raised twice, the concern that Martin would fall asleep with the child on her. So this is, as I say, one of the key areas of the prosecution case is that the prosecution are attempting to prove negligence, okay, to prove the case of manslaughter. And here we have a social worker giving explicit advice as to how the baby should be treated. And it's a question for the jury to decide, did she ignore that advice or not? And of course, only they uh, can decide whether that's true or not. But this, again, is a, key, is a key area of the prosecution case. And the jury's attitude to this evidence will form part of their reasoning to ultimately decide the case. Okay, so that tells us what Constance Martin was warned about, and that is a kind of evidence. The other evidence is just to return to that timeline of of incidents involving their children. I mean, we, we've effectively only gotten up to, to child one so far. So there is a, a lot more evidence to come in terms of how they treated these, these children. Jack, where do we pick up the story? Yeah, so Martin's in that mother and child placement. She's receives those warnings from social workers about co-sleeping. Um, eventually, she's discharged from that placement. She returns to live with Gordon and they're kept under the supervision of social services. In 2018, a health visitor decides 
that she's got no concerns about the child, that she says Martin is a loving and patient mother and the supervision order is discharged. So then Martin and Gordon continue their lives without any input from social services. Until in 2019, Martin's father, Napier Martin, makes an application for wardship of their now two children, because they gave birth to another child before this happened. So he makes an application to become the ward of the children. And that sets off social services engagement again. And a third child is born in 2019. And because local authority investigations are ongoing, they decide that this child, when it is born, should be placed with Martin in a residential unit for Gordon to maybe join them at a later date. But when that child is born, Martin refuses to go into this residential unit with the child. And so a separation order is made and the child is taken into the care of the authorities. We also know that at some point in 2019, there was an incident that we've previously heard about, which we heard a bit more about, which is that there was an incident that happened which the judge, who eventually decides to take all of the children into care and to have them adopted, this incident was relevant to that decision and it's an incident where Martin has a fall, she says, a fall from a window and the judge found that that was a domestic violence incident between her and Gordon. So that also happened around that time in 2019. So at that point they've got three children, one has been taken into care, they're all subject to ongoing court proceedings. And then we have in 2021, a social worker comes to Martin's door for an unscheduled visit and Martin answers the door, heavily pregnant, immediately tries to shut the door, tries to hide her belly and then tells the social worker she doesn't want her there. She doesn't want social services to be draconian and take away her children, and she refuses to cooperate with that social worker. Okay, so she has a door by this point, so she's no longer living in a tent. There was, there were so many moving pieces here. So her father, Napier Martin, has applied for this order, and it has not been granted, or it has been granted, or it's sort of still processing its way through the courts. It's ongoing, yes. He's a, he applies for it in 2019. And then sort of after that, social services and the local authorities start their own investigation into the couple. And she's pregnant with a fourth child. And what happens to that fourth child then? Yeah, so they do go to a hospital for the birth of child four. Martin gives birth in the hospital with Gordon there. And then sort of sometime after the birth, when they're still in the hospital, Martin and Gordon say that they want to attend a hearing about their other children in court. And they're told by nurses that they're not ready to be discharged, that the baby's not ready to be discharged. 
and they're offered a video link for the court proceedings. Um, but they say they want to go, they want to attend this court hearing. And they're told that they shouldn't be leaving their child, that they need to care for their child, not the nurses who have other things to do. And they're told that if they do leave, it will be taken on their record as abandonment of their child and that they may not be able to return because we're in 2021 and there was COVID concerns. So they do leave, they do leave and go and attend this court hearing. And Martin tries to return the next day and she's told to take a COVID test and she refuses to take a COVID test. So she's not allowed back in to see the child. So then there's then a period where the couple are having supervised, so the children are in care and there's ongoing court proceedings and the couple are having supervised sessions visiting their child, children. And then in February 2021, a judge orders that the four children should be adopted. The judge says that the arrangements put into place by the parents fell well below what a reasonable parent would be expected to provide and makes those findings about the domestic violence incident, said that the children may be at risk of further violence between the parents and says that Martina had at one point tried to discharge herself from a hospital in a t at a time that would put her unborn baby at risk. And the judge sort of remarks on the sort of sadness of the situation because she talks about the supervised visits, visits that the couple had and says that when they were there, when they visited their children, they seemed like loving parents. They would always bring them gifts. There was an occasion where Gordon planted a seed for each of the family members in the back garden. Um, and they seemed like there was the beginnings of a loving family there. But they were also completely inconsistent with when they attended the visits. And there was a period of three months where they didn't attend any of the visits, where one of the children was left crying in nursery, saying that mummy and daddy always cancel. So the judge decided that even though there'd been sort of so much love between parent and child at the visits, that didn't fit in with the inconsistency. And because of the other factors, she ruled that these four children should be taken into care, which is of course the context for the trial that we're now in and the fifth child and the going on the run to avoid that child, which they must have inevitably believed would also be taken into care. So we've heard that she was living in a tent um, and in another more secure locale with a, a front door that she could shut. Uh, but in the background of all of this, she does have money. There is this £48,000. And I gather last Thursday we heard some evidence about her financial background. Yes, so the bulk of the other day that we've had in court this week, last Thursday, was financial evidence relating to Miss Martin. So we had a um, one of the police team who'd looked into her finances and bank accounts. 
and they found that she was the beneficiary of a significant family trust. So that was a trust that was administered by trustees at Hawes Private Bank, which is on the Strand in London. And it's the oldest private bank in the UK, and I think the fourth oldest private bank in the world. So it's quite a prestigious bank. It's been owned by generations of the same family since it was created. Um, and we basically heard that between September 2022 and January 23, which is sort of the lead up to the couple going on the run, and at some point during that is the birth of this child, um, she was paid £47,800 paid into her account. So she had a monthly allowance from this trust fund of £2,500. But it seemed she would be regularly emailing the trust and saying, can I have a bit more money? Can I have my allowance early? Can I have an extra allowance? Can I have some money to buy camera equipment? She said she needed that for work. She um, asked for money to replace a 20-year-old van and was sent about £15,000. Um, so yeah, it seemed her money was, it was in this trust. She didn't have control of it herself and she had to sort of ask for money, but she was receiving a lot of money. And then of course, she goes missing and the trustees started emailing her asking where she was, if she was okay, getting worried about her welfare. And that was sort of the end of that evidence. And those are the sort of major points of evidence, but there have also been a few things that have been fitted in around the sides. What, what were those? Yeah, we've spent a significant amount of time for the two days revisiting old evidence. So Thursday morning was mainly taken up with a bit of CCTV footage from the golf course where the couple are eventually arrested being replayed to the jury. Um, and that was just to answer a question that the jury had asked at the time about where Gordon and Martin had come from and were going to. So they just wanted to see more footage because obviously there's loads of CCTV that the police officers have cut down to show the most important bits and the jury wanted to see more there. And then today we had a clip replayed from when the defendants were in London with the baby in a German Donner Kebab restaurant in East Ham. And it was John Femiola, who's representing Gordon, who wanted that replayed to the jury. And he basically wanted to suggest that the baby was being breastfed in that clip. Um, and he sort of put that to the police officer who said that she wasn't sure if that's what was happening, but she could see that the baby was wrapped in a blanket and being patted. Um, so that's the point he wanted to make to the jury on that. And then we had a clip replayed again from the Hollingbury golf course when the defendants were sort of rifling through the bins there and that was requested by Frances Fitzgibbon representing Martin and she um, he wanted to suggest that the police officer had been wrong when she said that Gordon could be seen with a mobile phone in that footage he wanted to suggest that 
it was actually something something out of the bins that had a reflection on it because obviously it may be relevant whether or not the couple had a phone. He said there was no phone found in their final belongings at the allotment, but that we obviously know Martin said to the police that she may have had a phone at some point. So I imagine that goes to the issue of whether they could have called emergency services after the child's death. We've heard the bulk of the state's evidence. There's now a question, I believe, as to whether the the duo, the defendants, will testify on their own behalf. And if not, then we might even be proceeding to closing arguments. Uh, Guy Toyn, do you know anything more about whether that will be the case? It's often the case with a trial like this that you don't really know whether the defendants will give evidence uh, until the last moment. Sometimes, for whatever reason, barristers do, do not disclose whether they are going to put their client in the witness box. But if I was going to gamble, I think it would be safe to put a few bob on the fact that both the Martin and Gordon will give evidence um, I think there are many, many uh, questions that uh, will be asked of them. And I suspect in this case, given the way uh, they have presented themselves as a couple through this case, rather than uh, it being a question of one blaming the other, I think that they will be able to rely on a degree of support for each other as well. And I think that they will give evidence and um, they will give evidence, if you like, on a joint front. <laughs> 